Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My Angular Story. Uh, for those of you who are curious, we're probably going to post this on my JavaScript story as well. So if you're getting it on that feed, uh, congratulations. Um, we have a few episodes that our current guest has been on. Um, I'm happy to report that we have Mishko Hevery here to talk to us and tell his story. Mishko, do you want to say me. hi? Thanks for having me. Hi, this is Mishko, and uh, thanks for having me over here. So I heard you wrote some little framework. Um, do you want to talk to, uh, uh, just tell us briefly who, who you are and what you do? Yes, so uh, I'm a software engineer at Google. Um, and uh, while at Google, I uh, had this itch that building web apps uh, was kind of difficult. And so I started a project, which eventually morphed into uh, AngularJS. Um, and AngularJS uh, became kind of popular beyond what I was expecting or beyond my own dreams, as they say. <laughs> um, and then uh, we have kind of grew the community well. And at some point we realized, you know, AngularJS, uh, as awesome as it is, it uh, had few drawbacks that we didn't know how to fix iteratively. And so then we'd have to be done it in a form of Angular. We dropped the JS. So that's my quick, quick, quick version of my story. Awesome. And I did mention that you've been on a number of episodes. Um, obviously, we have an Angular podcast, so we have you on periodically there or other members of the core team. Um, but for people who are interested, the first episode that we've had you on on any of our shows was JavaScript Jabber, and that was episode 32. And you and Igor came on and talked to us about AngularJS. That's that was in 2012. <laughs> um, and then episode one, you told us the whole story about how you created Angular. We're probably not going to have time to go into that in depth today. So I'm just going to throw that out. If people want to hear that story, that is episode one of Adventures in Angular. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. But yeah, you also came on JavaScript Jabber and talked about uh, dependency injection with Voita. Um, and then, yeah, you've been on a number of Adventures in Angular episodes, as we said, uh, just talking about like the, it, it was mostly around the time of the beta for Angular and just talking about how things were going there. So people wanted updates and we brought you guys in and, and, and had you do your thing. So anyway, um, this show, we kind of focus a little bit more on the developer journey. And I think this is going to be interesting just to see um, where you come from. I was, it was interesting. I was just talking to uh, Jamin Ferguson um, for my JavaScript story. And, uh, you know, I just mentioned, I was like, yeah, well, I've got Mishko coming up next. And he's like, whoa, a heavy hitter, huh? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, he's done a lot of terrific stuff. But when I talk to Mishko at like NGConf and stuff, Mishko is just a dude. 
And so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what kind of balance we strike, I guess, between just a dude and I've done all of these awesome things. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Cause people elevate open source authors, especially popular projects to a certain degree. And then they think that there's no way that they could ever do something like that. And a lot of times it's just a dude that wrote just a thing that turned out to be kind of an important, just a thing. Totally agree. <clears throat> so anyway, um, let's start with the very beginning. How did you get into programming? Wow. that goes really, really long time back. Uh, I think I was in the fourth grade, um, early eighties. Uh, mm -hmm. my dad, read somewhere in the article that there are these things called computers. Now, mind you, back then I lived in a, what is, used to be called Czechoslovakia. And so computers mm -hmm. were not as available as they are it were in the, in the Western societies. And so somewhere in the magazine, my dad was like, oh, there's these computers, you could get them. And so I think my dad had to bribe a pilot that flew wow. international to be like, oh, you know, like here's some money and here is, you know, something. Would you, while you're international, would you pick one of these things up for us and bring it home? <laughs> and so, yeah, we got this thing and then we didn't know what to do with it. And so I remember that I learned, um, we, we kind of learned with my dad together to mm -hmm. program going back and forth. Uh, what I found interesting at that point on that particular computer was a Sinclair ZX Spectrum. Okay. Uh, for those of you who want to Google that or had it, um, <laughs> is that it didn't have, I mean, it had individual normal keyboard, like QWERTY keyboard, like everybody else, right? But when you programmed it, you didn't program it by typing a command. Instead, every single command was already on the key somewhere and you just like wanted to type let. So then you had to be like function shift and, you know, LQ or something and then a let. Oh, wow. And these things were not actually editable. So it's not like you could go back and like change let to something else. Like th these were just like individual token mm -hmm. that you would add into the, the, the basic programming language. And it was basic, right? Um, and so that's what we started, you know, and you start with something silly like, oh, can I print my name 10 times? Can I uh, mm -hmm. make a, I remember one thing that I spent like the whole weekend on was just how do I draw the what back then was Czechoslovak flag. And the reason why that was tricky is because the, the flag was in three colors and the, the Sinclair spe Spectrum at that point, um, in order to save on memory, they only allowed two colors per like subsection of a screen. Mm. And so like you have to align the flag in the right way so that, <laughs> you know, silly stuff like that. Um, but anyways, I, I'm talking too much. No, uh, but that's no. kind of how I got started. You know, you, you started as a kid um explore curious you know how things are and you just kind of go from there so being able to program at least in the time frame that you were doing it was a pretty rare thing then it was a pretty rare thing um you know people didn't really understand what it meant I remember I went to school and I was like oh they, they got a computer so I, you know a few years later the school I was attending, they actually got a computer from the government saying like, you know, right. you should do something with this thing, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah computers, yeah, I know exactly how to program in basic. I, I got that. And so everybody was like, what, you know, basic? Like, how is that possible? But, you know, it just comes down to mm -hmm. like, oh, you have a toy at home. You played with it for a few years. Well, of course, you know how to right. do it. And, and, and the other computer that has the same kind of a mental model. Yeah. Um, the 
you know, so, so really my advantage, if there was an advantage, was really just comes down to the fact that my dad, for whatever reason, um, decided to purchase this thing that mm-hmm. was not even a mainstream at that point. Like we're talking early 80s, right? Right. We're talking about a, really a toy that we purchased um, and continuously have interest into like, well, how does this thing work? And why does it do these things and, um, and play with it? And the nice thing back then was that you could actually understand the whole thing. Right. Kind of, right? You could kind of understand. Like today, ah. <laughs> yeah. I hit a key. Well, let's see. There's a Bluetooth connection between the keyboard and the computer. I know, right? Which, by the way, is encrypted, right? So that nobody uh-huh. can eavesdrop. And like, oh my God, just just like a simple stuff like key cr- key presses um, get complicated. Yep. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Well, and even the software systems that we built today, right? I mean, the the epitome of programmer in the '80s was essentially the guy that would go into the basement and he would hammer on a bunch of code and then he would come out and you would have Dentrix or, you know, some, some system, right? I mean, I, I met the guy that wrote Dentrix, which is a dental office management system, the original version. And it was like just him. There were three guys in the company and the other two were business guys. And today, if you wanted to build a complicated system like that and, you know, have it useful and work in the ways that you wanted it to, I mean, good luck with, with, you know, you could have one guy start it, but eventually you're going to need a whole team of people because it just gets so complicated. That's true. But also there is a little um, higher expectations of what a software is today, yes. right? Yeah. Fair Back enough. then it was, you know, you were happy if you typed the patient's name and it got retrieved and you were like, oh, yeah. right. today we expect type ahead and yeah. hovering over things and fast responses and the data sets are more ridiculous and it has to be available on my phone. And yeah. so it is a more complicated thing that we're solving, even though that's true. You might be tempted to say like, well, it's the same thing. Let's not. Yeah. Well, and we've got more powerful tools to solve a lot of those things too. Yeah. So I'm curious. So you, you get, you get this uh, machine and you do basic on it for a number of years. Um, I mean, did you at that point know that you wanted to do computers for the rest of your life or were you going to be something else or how, how did, how did that kind of come about where you went? Okay. I'm going to be a professional at this. Uh, where we're talking like, you know, I think nine or 10 year olds kind of a kid, right? right? Uh, I had a lot of interest. I'm not sure what professionals meant at that age. <laughs> right. Um, what happened next is that a few years later, uh, when I was, I think around 13 or so, we moved to the U.S. Okay. Uh, and so that was a kind of a, a big change. Um, and, you know, once we got to the U.S., it was more, um, you know, we got into high school. High school would avail- make available AP programming kind of a Mm -hmm. style things. Um, So I was part of that. And at that point I was kind of like, yes, I think I want to do this. Like, this is just so much fun. Like, why Mm -hmm. wouldn't I just play for the rest of my life? If people want to pay me for it, that's even better. Yep. Makes sense. So did you go to college then? Do you have a CS degree or? Yeah, I went to college. Um, I actually went to college in Rochester, New York to RIT. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a... Uh, BSMS in computer engineering. Um, and um, yeah, so I graduated from there and kind of went. The, the funny story there was that, at, you know, when you 
I don't know if you remember the days when you had to apply for colleges and you were all stressed out about mm. it, right? Um, I applied for Carnegie Mellon, uh, for, and I didn't know the difference in computer science and computer engineering at that point. Right. It turns out computer engineering is more hardware, and computer science is just purely software. Yeah, my but, degree's in computer engineering. So. Yeah, okay, well, thank you. Uh, welcome, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I applied, actually, to Carnegie Mellon because that was kind of the well-respected and I got back a letter saying like, well, for CS, we don't have space for you, but we'll take you for CE, for computer engineering. Okay. And I actually didn't know the difference. And I was like, well, I want to do software. So I, I turned them down and instead I went to RIT, except like two weeks into RIT, somebody finally explained the difference to me. Like one is just software, the other one is software and hardware. And I was like, well, I want to do the hardware part too. Right. So I actually ended up doing computer engineering, which I could have gone to Carnegie for, but uh, that's okay. I went to RIT, loved the place. Um, had a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing that I really, really liked about uh, RIT is that they made um, internships mandatory. Oh, nice. So it was not an option. It was like you had to, in order to graduate, you had to go and have internships at a bunch of companies. And at the time, it was so stressful, like, oh, we're going, getting a job. And, you know, mm -hmm. but now in retrospect, that was such an awesome idea and it made such a huge difference. Um, you know, I remember when I, was time to get our first real job, it was so much easier having a whole bunch of internships and be like, well, I've done all these things versus some other candidate. Yeah. You know, I'm green from theoretical knowledge. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. What, what, what was the internship that taught you the most? Let's see. Um, so I interned at um, Xerox. Um, there I wor worked on some image processing algorithm, basically, um, they had printers, right? They did printers and copiers and they wanted to check the quality. And so they would print like thousands of blank pages and they would scan the blank pages and they would say like, go find all the little specs on <laughs> these blank pages and see if the specs move. So, you know, basically wow. software scan it all and see how this, because the idea was that, you know, if the spec was moving, then it's just a dirt, but if it's stationary and it's growing in size, then it's probably some kind of damage to it. But nice. I just found it hilarious that the printer was just printing blank pages like day in and day <laughs> out and they would take like every 10,000th page out and be like scan that page and see. Wow. Um, then I also worked for Intel. Uh, Intel I liked because I worked on a chipset which supports the, um, the, the main CPU. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that, that was kind of cool because I kind of really got into the hardware of things and really understood how kind of the processes work and how the stuff right. comes together. Uh, so I enjoyed that. So those are kind of the big internships. Then I worked for a little uh, consulting firm uh, in Rochester because it was just convenient called Questra, uh, which eventually morphed into some other company. I can't quite remember. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that was a lot of fun because I got to do embedded stuff. Um, right. Basically bringing software and hardware together into uh, you know, software that runs your printer kind of a thing. It's still software, but it's kind of embedded. Some of that stuff is really tricky to do. It is. And, you know, the I, I think this is the kind of difference between software engineers today versus back in the day is because back in the day, you were living in such a constrained world, right? Like mm -hmm. your, my first computer had 64 kilobyte total, right? And right. 60 kilobytes of it was uh, read-only memory. So you only had... Like what is it, 48K left? And that right. 48K had to be split between video memory 
right? And your mm-hmm. operating system and then the application that you actually ran. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, and so when you design stuff, like you really have to think about this thing. And when you right. went embedded world, like printer, like it's the same kind of a thing. You really think about every single byte, how it's used, how it's laid out, you know, what's where uh, versus, you know, the software engineers that kind of show up today and that have never have any hardware background. Um, they, they will throw an expression on the screen, not realizing what is the actually happening underneath and what are the costs to these expressions. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny too with embedded. I remember taking in my embedded systems class and we had to build a couple of applications and run them on real hardware. And it was always funny because, you know, the program just dies. Yes. Right? No traces, no. <laughs> it, just, it just dies. And so, uh, you know, so then what you do is you, you take it back to the emulator and you run it in the emulator. Which doesn't you, reproduce. <laughs> right. It either doesn't reproduce or you're checking what's in the registers to see, you know. Yeah. And then, and yeah, and so then um, you get through it and you're like, okay, well, I'm getting a different result on the emulator. So then you have to go look up the known bugs for the emulator. <laughs> I mean, right? It, it, it's that kind of thing, you know, it, but at the same time, it forces you into that level of problem solving. that's really, really interesting. So, yeah, it's a definitely a different level. Yeah. Um, the way you think about it. And I think it's important for people to kind of actually understand like what is actually happening at the low level. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, it's, it's, it's one of those extra things, extra views that you have into a CPU that others don't. Right. Now, when you started working on the project that eventually became Angular, uh, you were at Google. How, how did you, what, what, what does your journey look like getting to Google? Oh, how I got to Google? Let's see. So after I graduated um, the school, I went to work for the Questra, the consulting firm. Mm-hmm. The stipulation was that I had to move to California because I, I, I wanted it. I, I, when I interned in California in Folsom with Intel, I just mm-hmm. was like, this place is awesome. The weather is nice all the time. Like, I want to live right. in California. Plus, also, remember, like, I come from uh, Czechoslovakia, right, where right. as a kid, like, I get this computer, and I'm like, I'm listening to this amazing, where is it built? Oh, this is all built in Silicon Valley, and I had this dream as a kid. I vividly remember to this day that I had a dream where I was like, when I grow up, I hope I'm just going to have enough money to be able to go and visit Silicon Valley one day. Nice. That was my dream. <laughs> <laughs> you live there now, right? I live here, right? I live here. Yeah. I'm part of it. I am, I am the thing that, you know, the, the part of the cog in the machine. Yeah. Uh, but I remember having the dreams, like, I just want to be able to go there one day. Like, that, that's, that's the thing I'm aiming for. That's awesome. Um, anyways, but the, the question was something else that I got derailed. Yeah, I was just curious. I mean, your journey from, uh, you know, graduation. Oh, right, right. Google. So, I, uh, I graduated. I went to work for the consulting firm. We moved to California. Or rather, I moved to California. I was single back then. Um, and I worked for, uh, you know, first for Questra, then I worked for a little startup that didn't go anywhere. And then I went to work for Adobe. Uh, that was a lot of fun, working for Adobe. What did and, you do there? Oh, well, uh, sorry. Yes. So I worked on a technology that was supposed to be a competitor to Flex. Oh, really? Yeah. And then Adobe bought Micromedia. <laughs> so when the Macromedia was purchased, uh, the project I was working on got canceled, basically. And well, so, yeah, because they own Flex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Flex. 
<laughs> so I was grumpy, right? <laughs> was, as a grumpy person I was, I was like, I'm quitting and I'm going somewhere else. So I went to Google. And that's how I got to Google. So, so what's the, pro- I, I'm sure the process has changed, but what was the process for you of, of getting a job at Google? I had to go through the interview process. Um, and, you know, I actually, the first interview I failed. So for all those people who tried to get a Google and failed, like, um, just try again. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, but it's kind of funny because the first time I failed, it was very, very beginning of, of Google where Google didn't even have a name or they weren't like too bad. I failed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, like very, very, very beginning of, of right. Google. I was like dismissed it like, Oh, whatever. Like some silly company doesn't want me. I don't care. <laughs> 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 and then when I reapplied, I think it was like at least four years later or something. And then by that mm-hmm. point, you know, like Google was well known public and, um, yeah. So, so it, Right. <laughs> so they put you through the interview process and they hired you to do what exactly? Because I mean, ah, your job yeah. now is Angular and I'm pretty sure that job didn't exist before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I uh, was just hired as a regular software engineer. Okay. Um, the, the job that I did at the, at the beginning was I worked for, with, back in the day was called known as a Google Checkout. Or I think originally it actually might have launched as certified by Google. Okay. Back way back in the history. Right. Uh, but basically, what the project wanted to do was micropayments. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, the, the the project has morphed into basically Google Wallet. So if you're using Google right. Wallet today, like it has its origins in there. I doubt Google Wallet has any code that was shared from the original code base. So I'm pretty sure it's a separate thing, but. Yep, I remember Google Checkout. So yeah, yeah. So that that was the original project that I did. And while I was at Google Checkout, the thing that kind of resonated with me was the thing that I was passionate about was the code quality, mm-hmm. and, or rather, the lack thereof. <laughs> <laughs> that is a common problem across all software organizations. Yeah. So I kind of spent a lot of time refactoring the code base, simplifying it. Um, doing tech talks, um, getting people to kind of understand like what are the things that they should care about. And, and in the process, actually, um, I, unbeknownst to me, I started writing frameworks because like, well, this code is just ad hoc. Like you should really have mm-hmm. some way of doing this. So can we have some framework that goes into it? And so I created a framework for Google Checkout and it kind of had its origins there basically. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them. And if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com elixir. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. 
uh, and after that, I continued my passion for testability. And so I left checkout and uh, within Google. Mm-hmm. And there was another group that was forming, which was uh, test mercenaries. Okay. And test mercenaries, the idea was that it's a group that goes into other teams and helps them get good code hygiene. I remember this is like mm-hmm. 10 years ago where people were debating whether testing was a good idea, right? Like, right. Today, nobody has a debate like, should we do write tests? Like, yeah, of course we should write tests. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I but remember back then, it was, debate. Yeah, same kind of thing. Yeah, it same was like group. debated, even at Google, like, like, should we write tests? And then people would be like, no, tests are stupid. And <laughs> Yep. So the idea of test mercenaries was that we were uh, tasked to disseminate the ideas and also to help right. projects really understand, you know, how to write tests. And so I actually did that. And while I was doing that, I'd actually had a blog post and I had a lot of, wrote a lot of blogs on, you know, testing and what mm-hmm. the idea of testings are. So some people might actually know me from, from that previous life. Right. Um, and then eventually uh, I somehow landed on a project Oh, that's what happened. Um, you know, then the economic downturn happened. And so um, the companies were like, well, we should really focus on core projects rather than these high right. level ideas. Plus, you know, at that point, like people kind of started to understand that testing was a good idea. And so right. the, 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 the team kind of got disbanded. And so I went and work on um, Google feedback, which to this day, you can have apps where they have a little feedback in a corner. You can click mm-hmm. on it and the little thing comes up and says, something's broken about this app. Highlight the area that you think is broken. And then you highlight the area that's broken and you say, this is what's, what I don't like, whatever, right? And you right. put it back. And then there's some machine learning on the other side that determines like, oh, people always not like this thing. You should probably look at this first kind of thing because you right. get hundreds of thousands of, of feedbacks. But my job was to um, to help with the code, uh, and um, I think it was written in GWT or, or something of that sort. I can't remember. And I remember again, I kind of got forced—not forced, but like my—I naturally gravitated into like, well, what's the code quality? How do we make this simple and right. you know, other people's productive? And so while working on this. Um, I also kind of went to my free time and was toying with this idea of having a, a kind of a new language on top of HTML that would allow people to, the idea originally was to allow somebody who doesn't know how to program mm-hmm. something like HTML to be able to write interactive pages. Right. Um, and so I was doing this in GWT during my day job and then working on this on the kind of on the side. And I was like, you know, this GWT thing isn't working out for me. And so I went to Brad and we're like, we should really get rid of this and do this other thing and managed to come somehow convince them. And the rest is the history, as they say. So yeah. we brought that in and um, slowly it turned into a framework that other people wanted to use. And then we kind of grew it, made it open source and sent that out to the world. Very cool. And, and it's, it's interesting too. I mean, how many people have, I mean, they, they built their careers on on that little project, right? Yeah, it's um, crazy to me. Yep. But, uh, you know, at the same time, it, it just takes like that little germ of an idea and then you start building on it, iterating on it, and it just kind of turns into something. But, yeah. So, uh, 
I think we asked a whole bunch of other questions um, during the first episode of Adventures in England where we kind of teased out more of the story. So I'm going to refer people there. Um, I'm, I'm a little curious how your career has kind of progressed because of Angular. So, you know, you, you start, you start working on this project, starts getting adoption. I mean, what, what does that do for you? I mean, all of a sudden, are you way more important at Google or, you know, are you, you're kind of in, uh, in a leadership role over there, but it seems like Brad kind of steers the ship in a lot of ways. And, you know, Igor does sometimes and you do sometimes. So, yeah, yeah. how is that kind of, how did that go from when you invented Angular to now as far as your career's trajectory? So for the most part, I was an individual contributor um, mm -hmm. uh, slash tech lead. Uh, what that means is that I cared about the technical aspects of things right. and left the management of people and everything else to somebody else. And one thing I want to point out is that early on, um, we, we came across Igor and we kind of hired him. And I think what Igor brings to the table is he's amazing at uh, getting the external community uh, involved, but also on um, productizing, I would say. Like, you know, I'm, I'm the guy with crazy ideas and he's the guy who's like, okay, well, cool, crazy idea. Uh, how do we make it real kind of a thing? Uh, and so we complement each other rather well. Uh, and, and so I think, you know, it's nice to have ideas, but I don't think you would have a successful framework if you didn't have somebody like Igor to actually do the, the necessary drudge work to make it successful. Um, it reminds me a little bit of um, the way that I have a great aunt and uncle and they were both sociology professors and he would come up with these brilliant ideas, just these brilliant ideas. And he would try and explain them to everybody and people would look at him like, I know you're telling me something that's brilliant, <laughs> but I cannot make heads or tails of it. And my great aunt was the one who could take all that information, synthesize it, and then look at you and say, it's A, B, C, D. And you'd go, oh, and it sounds like yes. that's kind of the relationship you have there, right? Yes, yes, to some degree. Uh, you know, like people always ask, what's more important, uh, ideas or execution? I think it's execution, and Igor's the execution, right? He's the right. one who basically knows how to get it out and right. make sure that all the other pieces that go with it, which is documentation mm -hmm. and release notes and having um, cadence and long-term support with the external world, like all of these secondary things that are super important for companies, um, that's really all his creation. Anyway, so, so most of the time was I was individual contributor. Um, lately, the team has grown. Um, and so now I became more of a te uh, tech lead slash manager where my mm -hmm. role is, um, I, I taken on the responsibility of, of growing people, as they say, um, mm -hmm. and you know, providing feedback to them and making sure that they're productive, uh, which I, I, I kind of enjoying. Uh, it's nice. Um, I, I joke around. So the way this came about, let me back up a second. The way this, I love telling good stories. Well, you, you decide if it's a good story or not. <laughs> is that um, <laughs> at some point, right, in your life, you, you're like, well, I should have kids. <laughs> and then you start having kids. And so once you have your first child, you're like, well, I should read up on how, do these, how, do, how do you program these kids, right? That, that's right. Where's the owner's manual? You know, and yes. All this other stuff came out. <laughs> 
So, so this one owner's manual that I came across is a book called uh, How to Talk to Your Kids So They'll Listen and How to Listen to Your Kids So They'll Talk. It's mm-hmm. a big yellow thick book and I love it. It's awesome. It's a good book. Have you read it? Yes. Okay. So it's very pragmatic. I was like, if X happens, Y. Yes. So I'm reading through this book and I'm going like, well, that's interesting. That's what Brad does to me. <laughs> And so I had this epiphany, right? That like, wait, like Brad is managing me just like I'm supposed to manage my kids. And at some point you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm, I'm catching on to this. I, I, I think I could do this too. <laughs> so we joke, but I don't think it's really that much of a joke, which is that, you know, uh, kids are people too, obviously. <laughs> uh, but more importantly that, you know, big kids are just still just kids. Yeah. Right. Like I, I remember as a child, I was like, one day I'll grow up and I'll be an adult. And I'm like still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like it at no point in your life does anything change where you're like you check mark, I'm an adult now, right? Like you just get more responsibilities and gonna gradually grow into this role. And yes, you know, like you don't pick your nose anymore, but it's <laughs> like there isn't this specific line where you cross and you're like, now I'm an adult. Yeah, becoming an adult, the only difference between coming an adult is, uh, or, or let me rephrase it, the only difference between kids and adults is the expectations. It's not the people. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. It just isn't. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, so I kind of took on the managing responsibilities of people, and so to me it's just like my, my work children, you know? <laughs> That, that you try to help and make them grow and see their yeah. shortcomings and um, in the most gentle possible way, help them get to the next level. Right. So I'm, I'm kind of curious. Um, I've, I'm, I've kind of asked in a roundabout way some of the questions I usually ask other guests. I mean, obviously, I, don't, I didn't ask you how you came to Angular because you, you've got the creator badge. So, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, not worried about that one, but I am curious, like what, what parts of Angular, what parts of the, you know, the, this whole evolution, you know, the team, the community, what aspects of this are you the most proud of or excited about? Huh, that's interesting. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it, the reason it's kind of a hard question to answer is because when you, uh, go to store and you purchased an item, right? You're like, mm-hmm. oh, it's perfect. That's what I want. When you build your item yourself, especially when like building a house or something, like when you like right. fix the door or something, like you know all the flaws. Mm-hmm. You, like, and they bug you to no end. Like somebody <laughs> sure. else walks by the door that you've installed and you're like, oh, it's the door. Good job. And then you're like, yeah, but that thing over there is off by three millimeters and it's bugging me. <laughs> yes, I, but I, I love the window in the door. <laughs> If yeah. I was to do it again, I would do it correctly, right? And then you do it again and you're like, I got that one right, but now I got a different mistake. Yep, yep. And so it never kind of ends. So uh, when you ask me what I'm the most proud of, the part of the problem is that like I kind of see all the mistakes we have made and I'm like, ah, gee, I, I need to fix all these things. And it's right. part of like what drives you through it and be like, well, I see how this could have been done better. Like, can I go back and improve it so that, um, basically, I'm not embarrassed for what I've done. <laughs> right. What, what's your favorite part of being the creator or founder or whatever of Angular? 
I don't know. It, it feels mostly strange when you go to conferences and people like put you on pedestal and, you know, they're embarrassed to talk to you or to, to they come that. I understand. It's weird. It like, is super weird. I'm just like, I, I go to Walmart and they just look at me like credit card, you know, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I went I, I went to a doctor. I mean, Kaiser is a local thing that we kind of a mm-hmm. system we have here. And so I go to Kaiser the other day, and like there's this guy eyeing me. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then he comes up to me. He's like, "You're Mishko, aren't you?" I was like, "Yeah." Can I have a picture? <laughs> like, like I can't even go get my vaccines to that. Right. Money. <laughs> um, so it's cute, but at the same time, it's like I, I'm really just a regular person. Like I live. Yeah the same life as everybody else. I don't think very highly of me. It just so happens that a lot of people use what I do. Yeah. But I think a lot of people use what you do in many cases, right? It's just that you don't have the celebrity status, like people right. who work on other aspects. So, you know, if you worked on a car or you're mm-hmm. engineering a car, and millions of people drive your car, right? And yet yeah. there is not this thing. So that part is definitely kind of weird. Um, yeah. uh, it is fun, but it is kind of, yeah, strange, and and I would encourage people to just you know treat us more humane, more not humane, more like a regular people, right? And not yeah. be afraid to talk to us or ask questions or anything like that. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And the the thing that I'm gonna add because I, I run into the same thing, right? Because you seized on the ideas that made Angular Angular. I seized on the idea of talking about these things in panel discussion format, you know, and and so I'll go to a JavaScript conference or a Ruby conference, and I'll have people, you know. Um, I'll get an email after the conference and it was like, I was just too intimidated to come talk to you. And I'm, I, I really, I'm just like, I'm just a guy. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I love talking to people and, and finding out where they come from and what drives them and you know, what it is that we do that really connects with them. And I see that a lot with the angular core team, like at NGConf and some of these other conferences, you know, you or Brad or some of these other folks, um, you know, uh, Rob, they get up and they speak and you know and and it's like you know i've I've encouraged people to go talk to them so uh, you know go talk to you guys because it's the same thing right i'm like i'm sure you want to hear from these folks yep yeah um what are you what are you all working on now or what are you specifically working on now so uh, currently we work i'm working on ivy um ivy is the new rendering engine that Mm -hmm. we're putting angular um we have high hopes um for it so uh just kind of set expectations um we have high hopes for it because it will make our lives easier and it will make it awesome for you in a sense that we will be able to deliver some amazing features in the future right Uh, but as of right now ivy is just same old angular that you've always known nothing has changed right um and so I want to just make sure people don't uh, expect that Ivy is going to land and the whole world is going to be amazing, right? No, Ivy is just an enabler that will make it so that in the future we can make a lot of different changes to the system. And the other thing we, we actually, I'm, a big, I'm excited about Ivy is that it will simplify things so that it will be easier for the open source community to come and contribute again. Uh, that's one of the things that, that I think we've kind of lost our way a little bit and I wanted to fix that. Good, good to hear. Um, yeah, and I think that's important. And I know a lot of people that contributed to AngularJS that have found it harder to contribute to Angular. So, yes. yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, I guess the last question I have is just how do people find you online? 
if they want to see what you're working on or reach out or anything, what do they do? Well, uh, uh, GitHub is definitely to see what I'm working on. Um, mm -hmm. These days, a lot of what I do is more behind the scenes, talking to people, discussing right. ideas, uh, writing specs. One of the things we'd like to do is we'd like to move the design spec process a little more external. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, we're probably going to see more visibility to that in the future. Um, I have a Twitter account, uh, but I'm trying to cleanse my social stuff. So I try not to look at <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what's your handle on both of those? It's M. Hebery is my handle just about everywhere. Okay. Like first, first name, initial, and then last name. And if we catch you blogging, is that at uh, blog.angular.io? Or is that other places too? I actually, well, the old blog I have is mishko.hebery.com, but that's old. Uh, testability stuff and hasn't been updated in 10 years. Right. Uh, I would like to actually start a new blog. I will probably go somewhere else, uh, you know, start a new uh, right. medium or something uh, and, and kind of start discussing these ideas behind maybe Angular and behind how to grow as an individual and as a team mm -hmm. more than, um, you know, I don't want to continue the test testing stuff. I think that's right. old news at this point. So I am uh, planning of restarting that. Uh, just, you know, how plans are. Yeah, well, planning to, for me, is it may eventually happen. Because, <laughs> yeah, you get busy. You're trying to take care of other things. And, yeah. Very cool. Well, the last section of this show is picks. So do you have some picks for us? Gosh, I should have prepared more. Let's see. I feel like uh, I ambush people with that sometimes. You know, hey, hey, I have a pick for you. Yeah. I've got a 3D printer recently. I want one so bad. Oh my gosh. I got a 3D <laughs> printer and I, for the longest time, I didn't want, so the 3D printer I got is Prusa um, by John Prusa. And it's actually in Czech Republic. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, it's a country I come from, but it's just a coincidence. <laughs> right. It turns out it's really good, uh, and I highly recommend it if you wanted to get into it. The, the thing I wanted to say is that I, I really thought, I, the reason it took me so long to get a 3D printer is because I was afraid that I was going to get a 3D printer, and I'm going to print five things, and it's just going to sit there, mm -hmm. right? And I, I, it was like a real fear of mine, like, oh, I'm going to get it, and it's just gonna, I'm going to get all this slack right. from my wife saying, like, see, it's another toy, you got it. Not that she snags or anything like that, but like... <laughs> And so I am happy, happy to report that I had it now for like three months and the thing is running nonstop. Nice. Luckily, it's quiet. So, uh -huh. so uh, but yes, highly recommend. That's my pick. How, how much, uh, how much print, print space do you have? Like what are the dimensions of the printer you have? It's like about maybe foot by foot. It's not a big printer. Maybe a, a little. foot by a foot. Some of the ones I'm seeing... Uh, you know, just being out and about, you know, get like four, four inches by four inches by six inches or something. So no, this is about a foot, a foot by a foot by how, how high up will it print a foot? Uh, probably a little less than a foot. It, it's online is the exact dimensions. Right. You can look it up, but it, it's reasonable sized. Awesome. Can you put a link in the chat and we'll make sure we get a link? Sure. In the sure. Sure. Very cool. I'm jealous now. <laughs> Uh, they just look really really fun and i'm constantly tinkering with stuff and so that would just be something i could tinker with and something i could print parts of other stuff that i'm tinkering so with. part of that is that you need to get into 3d design and so uh, my when i don't code my new hobby is to just uh play around with fusion 360 and design um, 
whatever little random things around the house. All right, cool. Well, I'm, I'm totally, uh, of course my 13 year old's homeschooled. So I'd be sitting in here and it'd probably be going all day and all night because <laughs> he'd figure out how to play with it. I printed another Lloyd Garmadon from Lego Ninjago movie, dad. That's what my kids do. You've got like 60 of those son. Yeah. But this one, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. So, um, in fact, I'll just make it quick and I'll just, I'll just do one, but, uh, I've picked up, um, I, I was sick last week. I was really, really sick last week. And so, um, you know, mostly I just wanted to lay around and not do anything. And, um, I was in enough pain to where I really couldn't work. Um, and so, uh, I picked up a series called the King Fountain series. It's by, um, Jeff Wheeler. Um, I listened to them on audible. They're audit. They're uh, narrated by Kate Rudd. Um, and they're pretty darn good. The main protagonist is this uh, girl with magic powers. So anyway, um, terrific books. I really, really enjoyed them. Um, if you've read his other books, there is a, um, this one actually ties into another book series that he has. So that was fun, but yeah, just, just love those. So I'm going to pick those and, uh, thanks for coming Mishko. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up and we will catch everybody next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.